Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex lounge is Sarah Hunter, the Managing Director at Officeworks, the go-to retailer for so many of us when it comes to office supplies, tech equipment, and for families when it's time for back to school. And this is obviously my old stomping ground. Uh, I joined when I was, there was only two stores and Officeworks is now more than 160 stores across Australia. They are one of the most well-known retail brands in the country. And I'm delighted to have Sarah with me today. Sarah, welcome. Thanks, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. Well, before we get stuck into the state of retail and how things are at Officeworks, let's go back to the beginning. What was life like growing up for you? Gosh, well, I won't say how many years I need to go back, <laughs> but let's uh, say, you know, I grew up in a pretty traditional household um, with a few differences. I have a younger brother, mum and dad both worked full time, which wasn't always the case. And both professionally, actually, both my parents were lawyers when I was growing up and mum was a bit of a trailblazer. And I guess I probably uh, get some of my trailblazing uh, mentality from her, certainly. And um, yeah, grew up in Adelaide, had all the brilliance of of growing up in such a safe uh, environment and, you know, loved my sport, loved being outdoors, loved spending time with my family. And uh and then I decided to, to venture out into the big wide world and do something bold and go into state for university. I was fortunate enough to, to win a scholarship to uni. So I went to Queensland and, uh, and I guess then travelled around, lived in different places in Australia and then over to the UK. So um, quite a, I guess, varied upbringing, albeit it started off reasonably traditionally. Uh-huh. Well, I think coming from Adelaide explains a lot for me now with you, Sarah. So, um, very. Oh, beautiful- what does that mean? Well, Paul? actually, I, I think that all <laughs> the best, um, the the most uh, articulate people that I know actually come from Adelaide. I think the schooling there's always been world class standards. So that's all credit to you. I was trying to give you a compliment. I knew you think I was probably going the opposite <laughs> way. So, but look, I, I do. Yeah. Um, I think having the different state experience puts you in a really good position. You're now residing in Melbourne, of course. So um, mm-hmm. you've got a really good experience across the country. Now, I understand you spent more than 10 years in the UK working in banks and airports. What was that like and why make the transition to retail and maybe what, what attracted you to the industry? Yeah, look, I think certainly as I look back on the choices I've made in my career, one of the common themes that the, is that the jobs that I've loved the most it's always got the customer at the heart of decision-making and really I've loved the companies where bringing the customer to the fore strategically in decision-making has been part of the strategy or where the business was trying to go. Um, I loved retail banking. For me, the passion that I have for retail banking um, as opposed to, let's say, you know, 
some of that corporate banking. Um, loved the small business side, loved retail banking and, and the banking business that I worked in was very, very focused on that side. Similarly, airports, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for a CEO who was ex-Procter and Gamble and was trying to bring to uh, the airport sector at the time a real step change in terms of putting customer at the heart of decision making rather than just being, you know, rather than a mentality of just processing passengers through infrastructure. So, going on that journey really helped me understand. And of course, airports are very, very big retailers as well. Um, with very valuable retail space, particularly in London, you know, some of the most valuable retail space, uh, certainly before a global pandemic, uh, was in Heathrow and Gatwick. So, for me, um, it seemed obvious when I decided that I I needed to find another sector and I wanted to do something that was really interesting. It was always going to be somewhere where customer was at the heart of decision making and, and very real for me and retail really excited me. A lot of those frontline skills, I guess, transfer between from industry to industry, and you've, you're a really good product of that. Now, Melbourne's in its fourth lockdown. So when COVID actually hit for the very first time, one of the big challenges a lot of businesses faced was ensuring their people were adequately set up to work from home. Now, I imagine Officeworks would have done quite well out of the pandemic with the rush of people trying to buy home office equipment. What sort of change from the first lockdown to the fourth lockdown do you think? What, what, what have you experienced? Yeah, look, I, 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 think, I think the first thing I would say is that sometimes it's hard leading a team where we have seen such a large benefit, certainly in the early couple of lockdowns to, to our sales and to our business, albeit seen a huge impact uh, emotionally, mentally for our team. So, you know, it's not all, it's not all rose-coloured glasses that we have this conversation with. You know, I think um, one of the interesting things early on was to remind ourselves that it wasn't an accident. Our sales were going well. Our business was growing at double-digit sales growth before the pandemic. And the fact that the capa- you know, we had such strong capability in our team, uh, they really embraced um, the challenge of the pandemic to actually enable people to work and learn from home safely. So, having the stock available, making sure stores were safe, making sure that our team could work from home. We had to get nearly a 1,000 mm. people working from home in only a matter of days and set up at home, even our own team. Um, I think it is... Um, it's a huge credit to the capability of our organisation, every level of our organisation. So, um, whilst I'm extremely proud of what we did to help Australia and we continue to do lockdown four in uh, in Melbourne today, um, you, you know, and, and the, the case numbers are pretty challenging and it's all across Victoria. And I think I remain proud of my team's ability to embrace the opportunity and roll with the disruption and recognise it's really hard for them too, personally. Um, We've got, you know, over 50 stores in Vic that are shut at the moment and available for two-hour click and collect. The fact that in in only a matter of hours, we could turn on to our click and collect and we've still got a big delivery business here, but a support centre team as well and a business team that are that are personally struggling now with homeschooling and uh, or living by themselves and what a fourth lockdown means for them. So, my honest view, Paul, is our business is strong. It will continue to be strong out the other side of this and we'll continue to grow and learn how to, how to do business in a new world. Mm-hmm. 
probably the hardest thing with a fourth lockdown is the impact to our team. Right. So, so you think you've gotten better at, at it from a servicing a customer point of view, do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, every time we go through this, no matter which state, we take learnings and we improve. That's what a continuous improvement mindset is all about and a growth mindset. But the mental health impact of and the fear associated with what we're going through right now can't be underestimated. And I think, honestly, we will make some decisions as a leadership team in the next couple of weeks around what more we can do to support our team because snap lockdowns are one thing, but when you look at the fact that Victoria has been in lockdown for more than four times any other state, uh, that is not to be underestimated in terms of the impact to our customers and our team. Yeah, absolutely. Look, our heart goes out to all Victorians um, who've suffered through this period. It's been certainly very challenging. Um, now, just just moving slightly in our conversation, we live in a day and age where more of us are working flexible and COVID has accelerated that trend where people are splitting their time between being at home and in the office. Is that a good or a bad thing for workplaces of the future? Well, It's a really interesting question. I would say a workplace that's inflexible isn't good. And I would say that a workplace, uh, because there are plenty of businesses before COVID that had a culture of presenteeism. Sure. That weren't allowing people to bring bring their best selves to work and weren't allowing the best talent available to participate in being part of that company or part of that workforce or even more broadly, the workforce in general. I think retail leads the way in terms of the way we embrace flexibility, certainly on the shop floor and in our distribution centres. And I think it's a huge opportunity for us now with everything we've learnt through COVID to translate that flexibility into how we work in our support centres. Um, I genuinely have seen the feedback from our team as we've embraced flexibility and we uh, started that with hashtag FlexFeb in (laughs) February when we launched our new flexibility policy. The feedback from our team is just both across the whole business on the shop floor in our DCs um, uh, in the support centre is just extraordinarily positive and they really recognise that working for a business that cares genuinely about making work life work for an individual yes um so that they can be their best selves be the best parent or carer or um partner or um the healthiest that they can be that allows them to do that is what they're looking for in an employer so i see it as a massive opportunity that said flexibility doesn't mean you never connect with your employer. So, actually, I think there really genuinely is a watch out for employers who who aren't connected to their team. And, you know, we have a duty of care to our team members to make sure that they are still checking in and they are still connected and engaging with us as their employer. So, we're all going to have to learn new skills and we are all learning new skills on how to make that happen. So, so do you think that this hybrid model is probably the way of the future of part, partly being at home, partly being at the office and that gets you gets the best of both worlds, I, I, I take it? Yeah, I do. And I genuinely think it is um, being in the right location for the work that you're doing. So, when I'm reading board papers, I don't really want to do it in the office. I'm going to do it at home. It's more comfortable. I can see my kids in the morning or in the afternoon. 
it's just a better way for me to be working. Whereas when I'm doing, um, when I'm having collaboration sessions with my team, I, I, to be honest, all the technology in the world isn't a substitute. Like it no, doesn't really no. work. It's so much better face to face. So, so it's, it's a bit like horses for courses, I guess, that the physical location yeah. match the work that you're doing at the time. It's a really good tip, actually, because I know yeah. that a lot of leaders are really struggling with this area. And it looks like it sounds like to me that you've already worked this all out through. So it's, it's a great um, help. <laughs> we haven't, Paul. No, no, but, but you, you've, you've, say... you've, you've been able to articulate it. So that's that's a good start. Yeah. And I think my only other advice would be is to recognise that we're all learning. Yes. And and we're not all going to have the answer. And what is right for us right now might not be right for us in six or 12 sure. months' time. So we're just being honest about learning with our team around what works and when it does. Yeah, as long as you've got an open communication, keep the conversation alive. So really good tips there. Now, now just moving slightly again, we're in an industry that is forever evolving. And this is, we're talking about work, working from home and that being certainly been a new trend. If you think about the last 12 months, new trends are emergent, merging driven by the massive shift to online, what are some of the things you're specifically seeing? Um, I, I, I obviously have to start with the embracing of technology in all sorts of forms. And the best example I can give of that is give of that is I remember being in a hackathon session with some of our team about two years ago. And one of the suggestions was about how we could use QR codes in store to kind of provide content to customers, you know, whether it's about mm. a furniture item or a chair or what it's suitable for. And honestly, it got canned because the team said customers still don't really understand what to do with QR codes. Well, I can tell you right now, we've just rolled out QR codes <laughs> in furniture for a bit of an endless style content experiment in some of our stores. We all know as retailers that uh, our customers are pretty confident now in using QR codes. And that is just something that wasn't there two years ago, Paul. We, we so, probably should thank the government for that then. I, I well, think it's, don't you think it's great that somebody's finally found a, a like a, a really good reason to use a QR code. So given the all the COVID check-ins now that are happening. So I think it's educated everybody on what a QR code should be, um, what what it can can do for us. So um, all, yeah. all good. And it's certainly um, we've seen a, you know, and I know as retailers across the whole sector, you and I've talked about this, is you know, we've seen a whole generation who didn't shop online, shop online and learn how to shop online. So I think, um, but also there's a whole generation who were very active online who now love being able to go into store because their ability to do that and their yes. freedom of to do that was taken away from them. So I think on one hand, I would say from a customer perspective, you know, the change to digital in a number of ways, it's not just online shopping is real, but actually I think so many of our customers have rediscovered their love of shopping in store, which is just brilliant. I love it. <laughs> well, look, I know you're a busy woman and you balance and you juggle all these many, many amazing things that you do. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership and a day in the life of Sarah Hunter. What does a normal day look like for you? When do you get up and what's on the agenda? Look, I think the rhythm in my life mostly comes from my family. So, you know, my children have commitments that they need, you know. So, often mm. a day in the life for me would see me up at about four o'clock in the morning because my 18-month-old wants a bottle or um, wants a cuddle. Then usually, you know, 
my my bed gets crashed by the three-year-old uh, wanting cuddles at about 6 a.m. And if I'm lucky, I'll try and fit in some form of exercise. But that's, you know, I, I have to set the bar reasonably low with three young children. Of course. And then it's just school and trying to find that balance of being present for them, being home for bedtime and mealtime um, for them at the end of the day. And then in between, it is really dictated by... Um, what's going on in the business and probably the biggest challenge for me with a work lens from a leadership perspective continues to be where I spend my time Mm. and making sure that I'm spending enough time looking forward as opposed to in the here and now and the trading of the business. And, you know, it's something that I constantly reevaluate kind of every six months. Am I spending enough time with my team? Am I delegating enough? Am I spending enough time looking forward and learning and reading and making sure that I'm expanding my horizons as well so that I am bringing that external perspective into the choices and the strategic decisions we're making. Um, And that, that's just, that's just a juggle, right? That's hard. And I don't always get it right. Some months I'm like, oh my God, this was a disaster. I traveled too much. Um, Mm. Not this month, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you know, and it just takes, it takes really great support. And I've got a phenomenal EA uh, who just makes sure that we're constantly having the conversation around where I spend my time. Sure. Um, so it, this is one of the things a lot of CEOs struggle with, isn't it? Because there's got to be a balance between dealing with strategically important stuff and, and operational stuff because there's particularly in an ASX company where you're driven for results in a very mm-hmm. often very short-term perspective. Do you know if you think about your your the time that you spend the balance between strategy and operations, if you had to give a percentage weighting, what would that look like? Yeah, well, I think it really depends on, it really depended on the time and the uh, position of my team. Mm. So when I joined Officeworks, 50% of my direct reports were vacant. (laughs) So I was spending most of my time on operational things. Now... I'm in a really extraordinary position where I have a fabulous team and I trust them just to get on with stuff. So, I actually spend very little of my time on operational matters. Um, I have a really, really capable um, leadership team who, who manage that. So, for me, I would probably spend about... 30% of my time on people-related activity because, you know, that, that is a big part of my job. My, my yes, job is inspiring and leading a team, um, 30 to 40%, and then also, you know, making sure that my direct reports and my leadership team have the support that they need. And then I would spend probably 10% on operational stuff just so I've got my finger on the pulse. And then the rest is more about long-term strategic business development opportunities and really being focused on delivering our strategy mm. and growing the business. Yes, yeah, so it's really quite striking. That balance is really important, I guess. So when, when mm-hmm. you think about leadership, did it come naturally to you? Did you always have ambitions to get in a role like you have at the moment? Did you, did you aspire to be a CEO? No. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, if you asked my best friend or if you asked my dad, they would both say that I was always very naturally someone who put up my hand at school for leadership stuff. Absolutely. Yes. But I'll be honest, Paul, I think certainly in the 10 years before I took on this role at Officeworks, 
it was a constant debate in my head as to I, I knew I probably could do it and I could probably learn the skills that were needed and I'm constantly learning and I think that that's really, really important. You recognise that, that that's part of the journey as a leader is, is continuing to improve yourself and try and get better at what you do. Um, I think the organisation deserves that from you but, but it was a constant debate for about a decade as to whether the sacrifice was worth it. Mm. whether I could do it in my own way and do it in a way where I still had my number one job front and centre, which is being a mum and a partner, yeah. you know, my, my children and um, the life that I create with my husband for them yes. is my ultimate legacy, not any business right. I run. So, so, lovely. Um, so lovely to hear. So, so for me, that that and it's still a debate, Paul, for lockdowns <laughs> and homeschooling. I still ask myself, as I did this morning, can I do it? Can yeah. I, you know, how do I keep going? How do I keep doing it? But, um, you know, it helps when you have an amazing team around you, both at home and at work. What do you think you've learned about yourself since being in, a, in being in this role? So, what what have you learned about yourself if you think about the um, since your your appointment? Probably the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is just being authentically me is okay. And I don't need to be scared of it. Yes. Like actually just being yourself. If you can't find a role and you can't embrace an opportunity where you are who you are, it's just too hard. It's too hard to pretend to be someone else. It's too hard. Yes. You know, sure, we all need volume control and we've got to learn how to behave in certain circumstances and how to manage manage and, and lead in a certain way. But I think it's just so important to be bring bring your whole self to work. Yeah. I say that to my team. Why wouldn't why wouldn't I do that for myself? No, really good really good point. Really good point. Um, I'm just thinking about the times that you and I've had conversations and I know that diversity and sustainability are two topics you're really near and dear to your heart. Sustainability is becoming a key issue for a lot of retailers, if we can attack that question first. Um, and I know it's an important issue for you at Officeworks. How do you see the role of retail in driving sustainability outcomes and what are some of the things that Officeworks has been doing to, that you'd like to share? Yeah, I am. Um, uh, this is this this one's super super close to my heart. You know, it is Paul because mm -hmm. we talk about it a All lot. Yeah. Um, I, I just and it's been a theme in my career, which I kind of didn't really realise until I actually got into retail. I really passionately believe that we all need to leave the world a better place than the world we found and that, that we have a responsibility for our children and their children and our children's children. And we are custodians of, of this land or in the case of us as uh, in Australia, you know, we look to our First Nations people as custodians of the yes. land and we need to support and embrace everything that they can teach us about how we do that. So, I feel genuinely um, that this is an important part of, it's an important part of who I am. It's going to be an important part of any business that I lead. And our team and our customers tell us it's extremely important to them. So, therefore, we should listen to them and embrace the opportunities that creates. And I think retail, because we are one of the largest employers as an industry and also one of the largest influences as employers of young people as well, we have a real opportunity to drive change and step up to the plate in areas where unfortunately 
our governments aren't mm. right now. Mm. So uh, I think we should we should lead with our chins. We should lead by example. We should make commitments like we have about uh, continuing to accelerate our recycling, about planting trees. So if you come and buy paper-based wood fibre products at Officeworks, we plant two trees for every one purchased. Amazing. So so you can come and buy your books or your paper from Officeworks and know you're making a positive difference. And it isn't just planting trees for the sake of it. It's actually restoring habitat through our relationship with Restoring Australia, which has a knock-on impact. For example, Mm. we were planting last year on the Barrier Reef, which stopped silt into the Barrier Reef. And the Barrier Reef is one of the most precious things we have in the world and we have a responsibility to protect it. You know, similarly, we're now planting on Kangaroo Island. We're planting in the bushfire-affected areas in New South Wales, coupled with our commitments around carbon and climate and then just doing business well and sensibly. So, reducing plastic. I hate single-use plastic. Mm, truly, truly impressive. I, I didn't know all that. Um, uh, it, it just goes to show lead, the leadership for Officeworks demonstrated in this area has been significant under your, your time. So, that's an amazing um, outcome. And I guess there's lots still more to do, right? So, it doesn't just start Eight and stop more. here. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I think the the whole concept of the circular economy is one that retail can really embrace. And so, depending on which part of retail you're in, I just encourage you to have the conversation about what more you could be doing uh, in your workplace to really drive uh, a, a better outcome for our people and our planet. Absolutely. Now, one of the challenges, not just for retail, but for business more broadly, is creating more diverse and inclusive workplaces. Now, as a female managing director, do you think there are still barriers for women in the industry? And if so, how do we overcome them? Well, Paul, I should maybe ask you that question. <laughs> this is my area of expertise, but I really love to hear your view. It, it is your expertise, area <laughs> of expertise. And look, I am delighted in the leadership that you are showing across the ARA in this space because, you know, it's something that I feel really passionately about and and I am in the minority by quite some margin, actually, when I look around the ARA table and I find it really, really concerning. More than 50, you know, let, let, let's go with the, the numbers, right? More than, more than 50% of the workforce in retail are female. We Absolutely. are the... I, think, Paul, the largest employer of We are the largest private sector employer in the country um, and one in 10 um, people are employed in retail. So 1.2 million people working in retail. And when you look at, um, you you look up the hierarchy, unfortunately, it gets a little scary um, where women start to disappear, particularly in boardrooms and at the senior management level. But, you know, always credit to you, Sarah, because you're always leading by example. And it's lovely to see you in those forums. And I know there's much to do. Uh, and we've, you know, we put together this diversity, equality, inclusion committee, which you're part of. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know that you've got lots lots to add. And uh, I think the, the, the question really comes back to how do you think we overcome these barriers? Because um, often, you know, you know, mine comes from a, a watching women actually trying to make their families invisible, which you're not doing, or they struggle with parental leave and being away for a period of time. Um, and I and I look at that and think it it it, um, it 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 really does concern me when I see that because I think women have so much to offer, uh, particularly given that most of discretionary purchases, something like seventy five percent of discretionary purchases, are done by women. So you know, I think some yeah. of the barriers that are there. Have you seen any change? Do you think things are getting better or getting easier, or do you think it's been very small incremental change? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because. 
your previous question, you asked me about leadership and look, I think, you know, there's, there's a well-trodden view that, that, that people do need to see role models. And I, and certainly for me, I've had both influential male and female role models who've embraced um, diversity and demonstrated that belonging is really, really important. And I love to say belonging rather than inclusion. That's one of my things. I think it's it's really important that everyone feels they belong. And then in that context, gender is just the start, but it is the obvious start. And if we can't get gender equality and embrace inclusion and belonging for everyone in our workforce you know like it's so much diversity is so much broader than gender but like let's start with getting the basics right there absolutely um and for me it starts with the shop floor right it starts with it starts with my team rather than my leadership team albeit I am delighted that in the last 12 months we've reached balanced leadership across every level of our organization but don't you think that's the point, though? That's amazing, Sarah. Again, all credit to you. Um, that's part of it, right? So if every manager within an organisation took that sense of accountability and said, well, I'm actually going to work to get a diverse team of um, direct reports and that I'm going to knowingly and um, stridently make sure that it's a 50, 50% um, gender balance, that you know, we, the workplace would be much a bit better place to be. They don't need to have, look to up the management tree to have a strategy. It'd be great if there was, but if there's not one, at least just take responsibility for their direct reports would make a big difference. Yeah, I, I completely agree because it's just part of running a good business. Diversity of thought means you're running a good business. And I'm really fortunate that both the men and women in my team and in their teams have embraced the fact and they totally understand from a values perspective that 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 is just about running a good business. It isn't a conversation. I haven't had to set an STI target. It's just part of the culture and values of the business that we want to lead and we want to run. But I think back to kind of what has changed, I think particularly for the shop floor, there is a growing recognition of the need to get the hygiene factors right. So, for us, it wasn't an accident that the first formal policy I launched at Officeworks was our growing families policy, right. um, which is our second primary and secondary carers leave policy that embraced things like surrogacy leave and IVF leave, and it it became gender neutral. So it was primary and secondary carers. Yes, you know I have team members who have, and in fact I have one of my team. Uh, in the leadership team, actually take surrogacy leave, you know. So, I think it is about supporting that. And so, we moved to 12 weeks of paid leave for primary carers and two weeks for secondary carers of paid leave. Uh, That is unusual in the retail sector, but needs to be more common. And then the really big difference for me, Paul, that I think other than all the other things we need to do about bias and and just getting the basics right, is we introduced 52 weeks of superannuation top up, even for unpaid. Right. Because the 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 issue we've got around people caring for children and then being out of the workforce and the pay gap that that creates is material. And on top of that, to have people walk up to you on the shop floor and say, when I say to them, oh, you've worked for Officeworks for 15 years and then you will have had this experience. Mm. And they say, well, actually it was 17, but when I had my two children, it didn't count. Mm. That's not a business I want to lead. No. So, 
I want people to be recognised as part of our family and part of our business when they are raising our next generation and taking the opportunity to do that and being financially secure, which materially um, improves their mental health through the period, which is a big, it's a big commitment to have a child and bring a child into a family, when they're caring for that child, I want them to enjoy the experience and not feel a financial burden that I could somehow lessen, you know, so that that improves their mental health through the process. Mm, some, some great work there, Sarah. It's really proud hearing all this stuff because it actually shows that you're progressing in so many, the, the, not only the, the actual company, office works, but also the industry by sharing these thoughts. So thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had any advice for younger people, particularly young women starting out in the industry, what would it be? The same advice I'd have for any young men starting out in the Good. industry or anyone who didn't identify as male or female, right? The same advice for any young person, and that is to embrace opportunity and not be fearful And, you know, if someone calls and says, what about this chance? Take chances, you know, back yourself and and have a go. There's no such thing as a bad choice. You know, it's it's only bad if you make it twice and you screw up, right? (laughs) I kind of always say to myself, you know, take a risk. You know, if you don't enjoy it, you've learned something. You know, if a new opportunity comes to you and, you know, you don't enjoy it, that's okay. But equally, every time... I've been given the chance to do something new and I've jumped in. I've learned something from it. So I've really embraced the opportunity. And yeah, sure, sometimes it's really frightening. But, you know, I think when you're young, you know, and we're a long time working, life is about taking those opportunities. We're all going to have many, many careers and work in lots of different sectors as the workforce changes and evolves and the nature of work changes and evolves. So, We've got to embrace opportunities. Some great advice there, Sarah. The, the retail industry can be a bit crazy at times, so no two days, two days are ever the same. Is there an issue that's keeping you up at night at the moment? Um, I think probably the only thing, and it doesn't keep me up at night, my children keep me up at night, but if I, if I look back in five years' time, Paul, and together as, a, as an industry, we haven't embraced the opportunity to really make a difference on a couple of these big issues, whether it be sustainability, whether it be fulfilling the rightful role that we have as such a large employer to make a material meaningful difference to training and skills development and employment Mm. and diversity and women in the workforce and participation, I'll be disappointed. I'll be disappointed because I do feel we have such a, a privileged position representing so many of um, people across Australia and retail is such an awesome career and such an awesome place to work. We need to, you know, make sure we are embracing the chance for it to be fully inclusive, that people belong and that we really are capturing the opportunity we have to make a difference. What a delight, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Congratulations on all the work you're doing at Officeworks and all the best for the future. Thanks, Paul. 
Stay tuned as in just a moment you're about to hear some exclusive bonus content. We have a fireside chat with Robert Tedesco, VP and General Manager of Global Merchant Services in Australia and New Zealand at American Express about reigniting retail and some key insights from small to medium retailers. Robert, thanks for joining me here in the Amex Lounge. What's American Express's research telling you about the retail sector coming out of COVID-19? Thanks, Paul, and thanks for having me. A lot of positivity amongst our larger retailers as we've seen discretionary spend that ordinarily would have gone to travel and entertainment shift to retail. And those retailers who have really strong omni-channel strategies are probably benefiting the most. We've seen that in our own numbers as well. Our T&E even now remains at about half of its pre-pandemic levels, whilst pre-pandemic spend with shops is around 25% higher. Having said that, our research with small business shows that they're remaining cautious and concerned. Our research among small businesses found that less than half of retail SMEs feel optimistic about the year ahead. But 58% said their top business resolution for 2021 is to try new ways to grow their business. So we all need to play a part to help support this ambition, especially during the recovery. And what is American Express doing to support retailers? Look, our primary goal is to make it easier to create great mutual customer experiences through a number of ways. Uh, We have great data and analysis which can inform better ways to drive spend. We have access to our base of high-spending customers. We've got participation in events that drive spend, like our Vogue American Express Fashion Night Out. And we have great frictionless experiences that can help create a seamless checkout experiences through our technology and tokenization. And not forgetting our flagship small business campaign, Shop Small, which we've transformed into a year-round movement, celebrating the valuable contributions small businesses make to their communities. Now, tell us more about Shop Small this year, Robert. It's been an institution on the retail calendar for a number of years now. Yeah, it has, and it's a really popular initiative. It's now in its ninth year, and we've traditionally held Shop Small in the lead-up to Christmas. However, this year we're extending this support year-round. This is a very effective campaign in driving spend in businesses as we incentivise American Express card members with three extra points per dollar spent with those participating small businesses. Between 2013 and 2020, American Express card members have contributed more than $6 billion to the local small business sector through Shop Small. We want the whole sector in retail to thrive, but we know that those small businesses in particular who make up the majority need that little bit of extra support. Thanks for joining me in the Amex Lounge, Robert. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry. The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.